0: Every Resurrection Sunday, it takes considerable self-control on my part to not just step into this pulpit and start shouting the name of Jesus as loudly as I can. I'll get there eventually, but I am using self-control in this moment. For those who don't know, my name is Jared Melliner. I'm one of the pastors here, the senior pastor, and I want to thank you for being here. Um, Thank you to the church family for being here. I especially want to thank those of you. If it's been some time since you've been to church, uh, if you are someone who believes something different than what we do, if you're someone who you know has taken a considerable step outside of your comfort zone to be here with us this morning, thank you. Uh, We are honored and blessed, privileged to have you here with us, and you need to know, as a church, I'm sure you've picked up on it already, that we are all about Jesus. Um, the um, the thing that we have in common is that we need a Savior because we are really messed up. Uh, I like to, to say and to often remind the church that we are not a museum of perfected saints. We are a hospital for the needy and the sin sick and the broken. And that sin includes those who have relied upon their own good works for their salvation. Um, we turn from our sins and we turn from reliance on our good works to trust in this Christ alone. We love Him, we rejoice in Him. And this is what Easter is celebrating. Easter is good news to me because I need a Savior. Easter is not a pep rally. It is a celebration of a historical event concerning the most influential man in the world. We are celebrating that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And this risen Savior is in the business of saving lives. He has saved Hundreds of lives, transformed hundreds of lives even in this very room. We heard from Romeo. How do you explain that? Well, the risen Christ is on His throne extending grace even this day to more and more undeserving sinners like you and me. If you long for joy and peace and healing and hope in life, the resurrection is the answer. The resurrection is what you are looking for. Our text is in Philippians 2. We've been studying the book of Philippians and we come today to Philippians 2 beginning in verse 5. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Our sermon title is The Name Above Every Name. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, and here is what Christ has done, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May God bless the preaching of His Word. C.S. Lewis once said that Christianity is the true story of the God who descends in order to reascend. Jesus came down. Down from the glorious heights of God's presence, down into sinful humanity, down to the humiliation of the cross. But C.S. Lewis says, the reason he goes down is to come up again and to bring the whole ruined world up with him. And Lewis, in fact, gives a few pictures to help us describe this. He says it's like a strong man who stoops lower and lower to get himself underneath some great and heavy burden. He stoops down in order to lift up. He almost disappears under the weight before he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with the whole mass carried on his shoulders. Or, Lewis says... It's like an expert diver in a deep, deep lake, gone with a splash, vanishes, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure, down into the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay, then up again, back to color and light till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hand the dripping precious thing that he went down to recover. This is a picture of the good news of Christianity. It's not a message that we should try harder to be better people. It's not a message of what we can do to save ourselves. It's a message of what Christ has done for our salvation. The precious thing He went down to recover is you and me. We dwell in the region of sorrow and sin and death. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. But Easter explains the purposes of God in it all and what He has planned in Christ. This passage in Philippians 2 first follows a chronological descent. One, before the Son of God took on flesh, He chose to not exploit His equality with God. Two, there was the incarnation in which the eternal Son of God became a servant. He, he took on human flesh. He was born as a baby. And then the third step is His death. Even, we are told, death on a cross. This is the great descent of the Son of God, and it does not get any lower than that. The reason He came was to die, was to bear the judgment of God that we deserve for our sin so that we we might receive the grace of God that we do not deserve. The reason He came was to die, yes, but here we see that His suffering and humiliation was preparing the way for unrivaled glory. Let me say that again. His humiliation and His suffering, the Son of God being made low, was preparing the way for unrivaled glory. In other words, death is not the end. Death had appeared to triumph, death had appeared victorious, but we know death could not hold him. The scripture says that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He went down in order to come up again and to bring the whole ruined world with him. So Christ is not in the grave. He went from the grave to the throne. He went from death to eternal life. He went from receiving mockery and rejection to receiving the praise of every creature in heaven and earth. Jesus went from the lowest place so that He might be exalted to the highest place, and because this Savior lives, our lives will never be the same. You can think of it like a a catapult, and Ken Hughes is the one who gave me this picture. He said, he puts it like this, talking about Philippians 2 and this glorious reality of the gospel. The down, down, down of Christ's humiliation is followed by His soaring exaltation, To get the feel of this, he says, picture the gears of a catapult being ratcheted down even tighter with the three movements of his self-humiliation. Not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped. Taking on human form. This is my, rat. I've never used a catapult before. This is, I don't know. (laughs) Becoming obedient to the point of death. So So it is tight. The tension is built. So that the final groaning click of the gears creates explosive tension. And then the gear is tripped, launching indescribable exaltation. Jesus was dead. Jesus was buried in the final groaning click of those gears. But then three days later, that glorious morning, by the power of God, the gear was tripped. And it was tripped that all the world might know death is not the end of the story. The sorrow and the suffering and the pain that we know so well in this fallen world is not the final word. Why? Because Jesus rose. Because Jesus lives. Because the substitutionary death of this Savior has resulted in, therefore, verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Every knee. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. This is not just a worldwide bowing. This is a universe cosmic wide bowing of the knee. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Two points, all right? Two things we see here. One, a glorious exaltation that's happened in the past. Two, a universal confession that will happen in the future, All right, a glorious exaltation and a universal confession. First, a glorious exaltation in the past. When God says that he has highly exalted Jesus, it refers to his resurrection from the dead and his reign on heaven's throne. God raised him from the dead and has given him a new status, has given him a new place of honor. It says this in Ephesians 1, very similarly, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. This is what it means that God has not just exalted him, but highly exalted him. It means that Jesus is is super exalted. He is exalted to the highest place. And this is what God has done. And in exalting Jesus to the highest place, God has made a clear statement about the identity of Jesus. So that the world might not remain in ignorance concerning the identity and the reason that this Christ came into the world. The most important question that you will ever answer is, who is Jesus Christ of Nazareth? That's, that's the basic question. That's the most important question. That's the question that all of eternity hangs on. What do you make of this Jesus? And in the exaltation of his son, God is picking up a megaphone and is... Declaring to all the world, Jesus Christ is the center of history. He's declaring, Jesus Christ is Lord of all creation. Jesus Christ is the only Savior of sinful humanity. Turn to Him and be saved. God has exalted Him. Christ has been exalted as victorious over sin and death. Christianity teaches, and in fact, we sang this earlier in the service, that Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. You know what that means? It means that he's taking others with him. It means that he's not the only one to move from death to life. Those in Christ who are laid in the grave remain there only a short time, soon to be raised to glory. Someone said death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener, planting seeds that will soon be raised to new life. It was just over a week ago that one of the founding pastors of this church, Alan Redrup, went to be with the Lord. And it was in this room yesterday that we had his memorial service. Alan was ready to go. He did not fear death He was weakened by disease, but he was never stronger than he was in the face of death. As he clung to his Savior and put all his hope in his Savior, he had reached the point where he was asking his friends to pray that if the Lord wills, that God would take him home quickly. I was reminded of the old preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones when he was on his deathbed in his old age. He said to his friends and family, don't pray for my healing, don't hold me back from the glory. Two Sundays ago in our study of Philippians, I preached that to die is gain, and that to be with Christ is far better. And wouldn't you know that very week Alan, always eager to apply God's word, he said, I'm going where it's far better. He said he said, I'm ready for gain. I'm ready for glory. Alan knew that God has exalted Jesus as victorious over death. We're told in this passage that Christ is exalted in receiving a name above all names. God gave Jesus a name following his resurrection. That name is Lord, Lord of all. And that Jesus is given a name above everyone else means that nobody is in his class, okay? In basketball, people debate who is the GOAT, who is the greatest of all time, how many MVPs, how many championships, what about longevity, and then the debate is on. For Jesus, there is no debate. There's not even a, he is the undisputed GOAT. He is the greatest of all time. God has declared him Lord And this is not just something we are waiting for. It is something that has played out and is plainly seen in history to this very day in how the name of Christ has spread throughout the world like no other. This Jesus is Lord. Everyone in Philippi, where this letter was originally written to, uh, would have said Caesar is Lord. Same word. But God in the resurrection is subverting every king is subverting every president, every lord, every ruler and is saying, here is the one who is worthy of your allegiance in a way that no other earthly leader is worthy. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Believe in him. Trust in him. Live for him alone. Dennis Johnson Uh, in his reflection on Philippians 2, says something. I wanted to read this paragraph to you because it sums up so much of what is on my own heart to share today with all of you here. He says this, explaining Philippians 2. When the Father exalted Jesus his Son, raising him from the dead and installing him as Lord of all at his right hand in heaven, the whole course of history turned a corner from decay and death toward healing and everlasting life. So how should you respond to Christ's coronation and enthronement? And then listen, Dennis Johnson says this, you may have been feverishly slaving to win the blessing of other lords. Some of you even today may know that the center of your life is not Jesus Christ. You're not living for him as Lord. You're living for some other Lord. Lord. Financial security, others' approval, romantic love, academic achievement, pleasures of various kinds. He says, if that's true of you, the fact that the servant who once suffered now wields all authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth is your wake-up call. No other Lord can deliver on its promises. No other Lord deserves your unquestioning allegiance. Only Jesus does. His resurrection from the dead turned human history and cosmic history in a new direction which is leading to the day when every knee will humbly bow and every tongue express devotion to this living Lord. He already bears the name above every name, the title that transcends all titles. This reality demands that you submit to his dominion today. It demands it, which leads to the second point, a universal confession. He has been highly exalted in his resurrection and enthronement. And now there is a day coming, a universal confession in the future. Jesus died for a reason. God exalted him for a reason. And that reason is that Jesus would be universally glorified. Verse 10, drawing from a prophecy given in Isaiah 45, hundreds of years before Christ came, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is not, please understand this, that is not a description of universal salvation. It's not saying that everyone is going to be saved it is rather a description of universal declaration and acknowledgement. This, this bowing, this confessing is a description of the universal submission and reverence and acknowledgement of the truth. And the point is emphasized that no creature will be exempt. Everyone. Everyone you have ever met. Everyone you have ever talked to. every Atheist who has sought to sow seeds of doubt. Everyone in your family. Everyone in your workplace. Every one of your neighbors. Everyone in all the universe who ever has existed and ever will exist will join this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, Satan and his demons will bow. Angels and heavenly rulers will bow. Herod and Pilate will bow. Hitler and Stalin will bow. Trump and Biden will bow. Atheists and agnostics will bow buddhists and hindus will bow you and i will bow every knee will bow in humble acknowledgement that jesus of nazareth that jesus of nazareth is who he claims to be that the christian gospel is true that christ is worthy of eternal praise that day is coming i just want to say talk about being on the right side of history for the believer, we know where this is going. We know the day that is to come. The truths the truths that we have been declaring and celebrating this day will one day most certainly be declared and acknowledged to be true by every creature in all creation. All the world will see how obvious it was all along. All the world will see the overwhelming evidence concerning this Christ and how clearly God has made Himself known. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, presently, not every knee is bowing. And not every tongue is confessing. People have Chosen to live for themselves and to follow their own hearts. Follow your heart, the world says. To follow their own hearts rather than follow Christ. There are many who refuse to give Jesus the glory that he deserves. But this passage and this day is a reminder that it will not always be this way. A day is coming when all rebellion will be silenced. A day is coming when all doubts will be removed. A day is coming when the universal reign of King Jesus will be seen by every eye and confessed by every tongue. God is speaking in this text of a glorious future consummation. He's speaking of the grand finale that will take place when Christ Returns. This is like Star Wars Episode Four, as Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Chewbacca enter the great hall of the Rebel Alliance and are rewarded by Princess Leia for destroying the Empire's Death Star, and the great multitude applauds their triumph. This is the end of Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings. When, And you see this in the movie. At the end of the return of the king, the people of Middle-earth gather to honor King Aragorn and the hobbits for destroying the evil ring of power. And in the movie, as they uh, do, they have special effects that have just thousands of of extras and thousands of, of creatures appearing there. Well, here in Philippians 2 there are far more creatures in view because every creature will bow his or her knee declaring that Jesus is Lord of all. And here's here's the thing, relevant for each one of us, that Jesus is is universal king, that Jesus is, is Lord of all is the reason that all of this cannot just be a matter of what Jesus means to me. Oh, what a lovely talk today. What a nice service. The flowers, the singing. That seems to be a delightful church, a delightful people. Seems like Jesus works for them. They ought to keep at it. As for me, Jesus is not really my thing. The reason that we can't do that is that Jesus is not a matter of private truth and personal preference. He made you, he made me, and he demands our joyful allegiance. And to fail to live for him is cosmic rebellion against the God who made you and owns you and has called you to himself. In recent months, Burger King has been relentlessly torturing us all with their jingle. At BK, have it your way, you rule. It occurred to me, that's the philosophy that a lot of people bring to all of life. Have it your way, you rule. Like, you're in charge, have it your way. What you believe is good for you, you rule. That's that's the philosophy. The message of the gospel says you don't get to have life your way because, in fact, you don't rule. Jesus rules over all and here's the here's the thing for sinners like us initially that doesn't strike as good news because we would rather be lord of our own lives but the reality is it is gloriously good news because when we attempt life our own way we only make a colossal mess of things and if you have an ounce of humility you will acknowledge that to be true we cannot be lord of our lives We have been created and Christ shed his blood and was exalted by the Father that he might be Lord of our lives. And friends, God has brought you to this place today and in his great love for you is confronting you with the greatest news the world has ever known. There are only two options for each one of us. Either turn from your sin and rely on Christ alone for salvation Declaring his lordship with joy or or reject him, live for something other than Christ, and declare his lordship with shame and terror when he returns in judgment. But it's only a matter of time before you confess. It's only a matter of time. And I, I plead with you to bow your knee and to confess the lordship of this risen Christ before it's too late? Who do you say Jesus is? Have you bowed your knee? Have you confessed with your tongue that he is Lord and Savior? Come and experience the riches of this salvation today. Only those who trust in him will be saved. But the glorious news of the gospel is that this great salvation is available to us all. Available to the worst of sinners. Available to those who are the furthest off. Available to those who have rejected and denied the name of Christ. This salvation is available in Jesus Christ today. And he stands with open arms inviting all to come to him to bow their knee and to confess that he is Lord of all. Jesus, Jesus stooped down as a strong man to lift up and to rescue the great mass of humanity. No one else could have done it. He dove lower and lower. Why? To recover sinners, to rescue sinners like us. He went down in order to come up again and to bring the whole ruined world up with him. What's the reason of the resurrection? Is it so that we would have a certain emotional experience? Is it so that we would get excited? Friends, the reason for the resurrection is that you and I would bow. The reason for the resurrection is that you and I and all creation would confess Jesus Christ came into the world not just to be an example, not just to provide teaching or to inspire us. No. He came to die upon that old rugged cross. He came to lay down his life in the place of sinners. And this Jesus has now been exalted by God and will be revered by all creation for all eternity. And so the people of God are left with praise and adoration to say, what a glorious salvation. What a glorious Savior that this Jesus is highly exalted, that this Jesus is the name above every name. This Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Friends, is He worthy of every bowed knee? Is He worthy of the confession of every tongue? Is He worthy of honor and power and dominion? Well then, let the people of God shout glory let the people of God sing hallelujah let the praises of the redeemed rise as an anthem among those God has saved we know death is dead we know love has won we know Christ has conquered he lives he reigns crown him the lord of love crown him the lord of life crown him lord of all every knee and every tongue worship This God and Savior, our Lord, the risen King, praise to his name.